Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out the hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it out. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew 2, if you don't have a traditional Bible and you want one, you can go out to the Welcome Center and they will give you one. It is our gift to you. We would love for you to take one. But in the meantime, I really want you to use your YouVersion app. It's also called the Bible app because we've already uploaded all of the notes and all the scriptures, places for you to follow along. Everything except for video and pictures go on there. And so if you don't have the app, you can scan this QR code and it'll take you there. Listen, there's so many amazing things on that. Don't just use it just for today. It's just, you can do Bible plans with people. They keep you accountable. When you do a plan with someone else, there's places for you to take notes, places for them to take notes. And so anyway, there are uh, so many amazing traits on that app. If you are watching us online, love you guys. I'm so glad that you guys are part of our family. If you're part of our tailgate location today, thank you. Watch out for the PBR. It catches up faster than you think. I actually found out something interesting uh, the other day. Did you know if you drink alcohol on a plane, it doubles the effects of the alcohol. So if you drink one drink on a plane, I found this out, not because they cut me off. I'm just saying. I had a dude who was sitting next to me and he had had a couple of uh, libations, as some would call them. And uh, he started to get rowdy. He started to cause a ruckus. And so he asked for another vodka cranberry, which was a bit embarrassing anyway. So he, he tried to order it. I'm like, bro, if you're gonna do this, like do this thing, bro. Order buffalo, like something you know, that puts, as my dad would say, they'll put some hair on your chest. So he ordered another uh, vodka cranberry and the flight attendant said, sir, which anytime somebody looks at me and says, sir, I know I'm in trouble. She said, sir, we're gonna have to wait a bit. And so she cut him off. That was all that he was allowed to have. And so anyway, if you are part of our vodka cranberry location, <laughs> we love you guys. And we're super excited that you're here. Anyway, uh, This is the last time I'm going to see you before Christmas. And so Merry Christmas. I love you. I'll be in Charlotte next week. Thank God for a big win where we make them one in four. I just go, how they can't get any, the poor Panthers. They can't get any, at least they have basketball, like in Jesus' name. And I just find myself just... Just anybody, you just, you just find yourself singing, just walk around. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. And it, it's enough though. They start it too early. There should be a limit where radios don't even play it before Thanksgiving. I'm just saying. And there should be a cutoff. Stop it. On noon, Christmas day, stop. We get it. It is beginning it's not begin at that point it isn't beginning to look like christmas anymore it's already christmas so it's enough. And so anyway, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And so I will definitely be in rare form today. And so I love you. I'm excited uh, for Christmas. It'd be an understatement to say that I love Christmas. Like I, I love Christmas. I, I don't get nostalgic about many things, but Christmas, it's one of them. Uh, the, there's a few things that are mandatory for me come Christmas. Uh, Verner's and eggnog. 
stockings on Christmas Eve with underwear, socks, and turtles. The candy, not the reptile. Uh, spending 22 of the 30 minutes of the Charlie Brown Christmas special crying. It's, a, it's mandatory for me. Hearing the Charlie Brown song and, and crying, that's mandatory. It's, I, was, I was with my son the other day and we were in public and the, the song, the Charlie Brown song was playing and he looked at me like wondering if I was crying in public. I'm just saying, I love Christmas because it takes me back. Uh, we didn't have a lot of extra growing up, but my parents, they somehow always figured out a way to make Christmas special. And, and I want that same thing for my kids and I actually want that same thing for you. And uh, as I've gotten older and as I've developed more responsibilities come Christmas, uh, I just want it, I just want for one day, if it could, for life to just shut off, for life to just, to just slow down. Uh, Christmas used to be seemingly more significant. Uh, we have some old pictures somewhere around here. We took them down, but there were like these old ads, these old pictures, like of downtown Green Bay, when there used to be department stores and, and uh, people used to get dressed up and they used to go shopping for Christmas. It was, it was a big deal. I remember when I was in school in Minneapolis, it was a thing for people to go downtown to, uh, I, think, I think it was a Hudson, maybe it was a Hudson's department store. And downtown Minneapolis, they used to, in every window, they used to set up a different scene where it was moving. And it was a kid coming down on a toboggan or a, a, like a kid, a couple of kids skating. And one of the kids was, was spinning. Point being that like, it was like, there was destinations for Christmas. And, and as I've gotten older and, and been allowed to live inside of, God's blessing. I've been fortunate enough to be able to speak in some incredible places at Christmas. And so I, I, I brought a couple of pictures I wanted you to see. Like uh, I've been in Hong Kong at Christmas, showing that. This is Hong Kong at Christmas. Look at the trees and how magnificent it is. I've been in Singapore on Christmas. Look at this. Can you imagine? That's not even real snow. Seriously, they blow that in the air during business hours. So it looks like it's snowing at all times. Look at this one. This is Zurich at uh, Christmas. This is a, a Christmas market that, uh, incidentally, when you go to Zurich, I would love it if you could go someday. When you go to Zurich, their police cars are BMWs. I've never wanted to get arrested more. And so uh, this is Frankfurt, uh, Germany. Some people call it Frankfurt, but they're wrong. This is Frankfurt, Germany. And when you go to uh, Frankfurt, it's like Christmas was invented in Frankfurt. And beer, incidentally. I've never seen bigger mugs. If you have to rename a mug to something else, you know it's too big to hold beer. It's, they call it a stein. It's like this big. And people will just take a lunch break and drink two of those and, and then go back. And I thought, huh, they must have invented beer. Last Sunday, I got to be in another incredible Christmas location. After church, uh, I drove straight to the airport, boarded the team plane and flew to New York. And this is Rockefeller Center. It's amazing in pictures. It's a bit disappointing in, in person, if I, if I were being honest. I was anticipating more. I thought my $36 yellow cab ride would have delivered uh, more than that. But in pictures, isn't it amazing how something from someone else's vantage point can change yours? 
Uh, speaking of New York, have you ever eaten food that's so good it makes you not want to brush your teeth before you go to bed? <laughs> Look at these pictures. Look at these. The, yeah, do, do the next one. Do the, yeah, now go back. If you can't, I don't know if they can do that. Can you rewind? Now go, go forward. Now go back. Now go forward. Listen, Frankfurt may have invented Christmas, but I'm pretty sure New York invented pizza. Go back and hot dogs in Jesus' name. These are a few of my favorite things. I have a Costco membership just for the hot dogs. I'm just saying. And my kids don't even like them. I was like, if you weren't my kids, I don't know if we could be friends. Because if you don't like hot dogs, I have to question your judgment. That's just, there's just something. Anyway, it, it's with all these Christmas pictures in mind that I want to share a message that we're calling, Do You See What I See? Let's pray. God, we love you. Like, we're grateful. The, the whole prayer could honestly end right there, God. We love you. We're grateful. God, as we come, like we're coming into the, into the home stretch, God. It's, it's like we're the anchor in the relay and we're, we're coming around that last turn. And a week from tomorrow, it's going to be your birthday. And uh, lots of people are going to celebrate it. Lots of people uh, don't know why. They're going to give gifts to each other, not knowing that it's really to honor you. Uh, but we know. And so for a few moments today, we slow it down. We pause. We pray that um, your heart would become our heart, that your mind would become our mind, that your agenda would become our agenda, because we pray that we'll see what you see. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, first of all, what a message by Pastor Dallas last week. Like he was prophesying what Green Bay is going to look like. And I don't know about you, but I received that. I received what he was saying about Green Bay. He pushed some of y'all too far. He, he, like he, and I love that. I love that sometimes when you, when you elevate things, you push people who, who don't want to think bigger out of your nest. There are some people in your life, this is a side note, there are some people in your life who are in your nest who shouldn't, be in your nest. Their feathers are not the same as your feathers. They don't fly the same way that you fly. They don't expect the same things that you expect, anticipate the same things that you anticipate. They don't have the same vision that you have, the same destination that you have. And the more you follow them, the more off course you'll get. And so his points were practical, but profound. He said, God is in the business of bringing significant things from insignificant places. He said, God's in the business of bringing significant things from insignificant people. And we said that, first of all, I wanted to stand up on him, but I knew that some people wouldn't understand that, what, the, what was going on. And so, so, and then I wanted to throw my Bible at him. So instead, we got a group text. And so instead, on the group text, I sent a picture of somebody throwing something because I wanted him to know that picture, that that point made me want to get up and throw something and hit him upside his head. That's when you know that somebody's preaching. When you want to tell him, shut your, you better shut. <laughs> I texted, I said, you, I texted Pastor, said, you better shut your mouth. You better, pre, you better, pre, like there was something about that last week that there was a shift that happened in the atmosphere, a change that happened. That's something that like motivated people to become more than they thought 
they could be because God will make significant things come from insignificant people. And that resonated with me because that's true of me, y'all. Nobody expected me to amount to nothing. And I graduated high school with a 1.7 GPA. <laughs> I had teachers who would tell me I needed to lower my expectations. They said, man, you should just enlist in the military. You, you, you know what you should do? You should just determine that she's going to be a line cook at the, at the big boy. Now, if you're not from Michigan, you might not know what a big boy is. But a big boy is a lower version of Perkins. I'm just saying, like they, they invented the Big Mac. But they, like I would have teachers that be like, man, you might just go get you a job at the big boy, wash dishes for the rest of your life. You, you, you better learn how to be good with a broom. I said, man, you're going to be lucky if you don't end up strung out or locked up. But here's what I determined. I don't see what you see because God is in the business of bringing significant things from insignificant places and insignificant people. And that's not only true of me, that's true of you. The Bible says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. It says that God has a plan for your life. It is for good. It is not for bad. It is for a future and for a hope. And Matthew understood that. He said, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and we've come to worship him. Now, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, I know my assignment today is to talk about verses 13 through 18. But before I do that, let me point out a couple of things in the prior section that I think are important, are significant. Because in verse 2, when the wise men describe the leader that they're looking for as king of the Jews and ask where he's been born, the words they use don't mean born to be king. The words they use literally mean born king, meaning they were talking about what he is, not what he will be. And then in verse three, when Matthew says that Herod was troubled, it was because Herod wasn't Jewish. He was an Edomite who had been made king by the Romans. So, so when the news the Magi were bringing sounded suspiciously like the emergence of a genuine descendant of the royal line of David, a, a legitimate heir to the throne had been born, it revealed King Herod was something he had been, not something he was, which is why the wise men didn't go back. Because once you've experienced the one true king, there's no way you can go back to the counterfeit you'd once known, which is why some of you need to recommit everything that it is that you do. You wonder why you keep slipping in and out going back and forth. And the reason that you've been slipping in and out, going back and forth is because you've had one foot in and one foot out. One of these things is not like the other. When you go back to, to Sesame Street and get your theology that Grover used to say, there are two kinds of prophecy. He didn't say prophecy, but he said, there are two kinds of views. And if you remember it, the camera used to come up real close. He said, this is near. And then it would pan out real far. And he'd say, this is far. And then it would come up and he would say, this is near. And then it would go way back and it would say, this is far. Some of you guys have been living far, not living near. And you think you're in the right place. The problem is you got the wrong perspective. You need to get near God rather than just seeing God. And so Herod was like kind of something, but he wasn't really something. So, 
So watch this. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord, which, side note, every time I read the words angel of the Lord, I have to read it in Linus's voice. I'm just saying, like, an angel of the Lord appeared. And like, I feel like I should have a blanket over my, I'm just, just a Charlie Brown in me. So after, after, now, now I feel like it's going to mess with me. After the wise men were gone, let me say this as an adult, an angel of the Lord appeared to, jo I can't do it. I just can't do it. No, I messed it up. Then it's got to end the whole sermon. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and he said, get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt, which, which was fulfilling a prophecy that Hosea had written 750 years before Jesus and 1,200 years after the Exodus. And what's interesting is I've had people ask me, why would God send them to Egypt? But it wasn't unusual at that time. People from all over the world were seeking asylum in Egypt, including Jews who had come to view it as a safe haven where they could take refuge when there was trouble in Palestine. I had a conversation yesterday that I thought was interesting. Uh, there was a certain political leader that talked about how uh, Israel needed to stop uh, their onslaught of Hamas. And, and he said, if they don't stop their onslaught of Hamas, they will lose our support. And if they lose our support, they will lose the support of the world, which, I mean, we know is, it's got to happen like that. But interestingly, I believe that, that Egypt will stay with Israel, that, that it's, there's this weird, like full circle thing that's going to happen where they had them captive, but then at, at the end, they're going to take them uh, in safe heaven, haven. So like back then, there's always been this, like, like this weird connection. And so for them to go there, there were lots of Jews there. Upwards of a million Jews were living in Alexandria, Egypt alone at the time. And so Joseph and Mary would have felt like they could have hidden in plain sight. They would have had things that they were familiar with. They would have known people there. There would have been sections of town that they would have felt comfortable in. It would have had their food. It would have had their decorations. Like when you go to New York, there's certain, there's certain sections of town where you can go to Greek town or you can go to Mexican town, you can go to Chinatown. And then and it's decorated like home. The food is like home. They got grocery stores like home. And so like when they went to Egypt, it wouldn't have been like, so random and out of the ordinary for them. It would have been them going from a place that they knew to a place that felt like they knew. It was like, uh, it was like a fulfilling of what happened to Abram. When, when Abram journeyed on, he, he got halfway in his journey and he came to a town and uh, the town looked exactly like where he had come from and he would have felt comfortable in that town. And in fact, his dad stopped in that town and Abram continued to go on because when they got to that town, they felt like they were home. And sometimes when God has called you to one place, it's very easy for you to get partway there and stop somewhere because it feels like home. And so Joseph and Mary would have developed roots in that town. They would have developed friendships and relationships. And so it wasn't that unusual for them to go there. It was challenging the fact that they would have left there. 
Uh, but, but I could see a couple really interesting things that jump out in those verses, and, and I want you to see them too. Uh, first, Joseph, Joseph is told by the angel to watch this, take the child and his mother, which would have been really uncommon in that culture to mention a child before mentioning their parent. But Matthew was clearly and intentionally prioritizing Jesus over his mother. They were not equal. Not then, not now. She was just an earthly vessel. She was the package Jesus was wrapped in. Now, I wrap my own presence for people. No, I mean, I don't wrap the presents that come to me. I wrap the presents that I give to people. I don't, I don't, uh, whatever the word, I don't, uh, hand that out to someone else. Normally I, I take, and I'm not very good at it. It's usually uneven. I use a lot of tape, a lot of tape. And so it's almost impossible to get in, uh, to my packages. Uh, they're ugly, but they're heartfelt. But a couple years ago, I was in a mall. And there was some Marines in the mall, decked out too, dress blues in the mall, wrapping presents. I was like, oh, shoot. I've seen Marines make their bed. <laughs> it's like $3 a package. I said, oh, yeah, baby. And I don't know where the money was going, toys for tots or something, but they, it was worth the three bucks to me. And uh, I never seen like a manly dude do something that's like not manly, but make it look manly. Like they wrapped the presents and they were like... And then they took a bow and homeboy said like this with some scissors. He looked like he was in the Olympics. He looked like, he said, handed it to me. And it looked like a, it looked like a, like a twirly, like a, like a quirk, uh, what do you got? Curly cue. It looked like a curly cue. And I was like, man, it kind of made me, it kind of made me jealous and crave pork rinds at the same time. I was like, dude, this is incredible. And when I, I put those presents under that tree, man, I felt like, wow, this is, it was the nicest package. It was nicer than what was in it. It's like, like what I was saying. And so like Mary was just the package that Jesus was wrapped in. She wasn't unimportant. She just wasn't as important. And she still isn't. And when I read that, I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, you need to tell these people who may would have a background that makes them think that some, nobody is on par with Jesus. I'm just saying, that's, that's free today. So uh, let me show you something else I find it interesting. That uh, Matthew says that the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. And in that dream, the angel said, get up, flee to Egypt. And get up has an exclamation mark. The punctuation is important. Uh, and then the next verse says, watch this, that night Joseph left for Egypt, meaning he acted immediately. The minute he woke up, he got up because delayed obedience is disobedience. And God has told some of you to do something and you have been waiting. You have been dragging your feet. You've been making excuses. You've been giving him all the reasons why you can't do this or do that, say this or say that, break this relationship or start that relationship, go here or not go there, be in the ministry, serve or not serve, give or not give. But delayed obedience is disobedience. And I think it reveals both the importance 
and the intensity of the dream. It communicated a sense of urgency. And we see why in the next section. It says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. What's that even mean? How, how had they outwitted him? Well, look at this map. They gave me a pointer, by the way, which made me want to make some people like... So, you ever seen a cat with a laser pointer? It's the only thing I like about cats, so you can drive them insane. So uh, this is... Can you see over my head? I know I'm tall. This is, somebody said to me in the lobby the other day, said, you look a lot taller on stage. I said, well, I'm seven feet up in the air. Of course I look taller. Anyway, this, this is Jerusalem and this is Bethlehem, okay? I want you to keep that in mind. And we're gonna bring this, this back up here in just a minute. That's, that's, that's Jerusalem and that's Bethlehem. It was about six miles. Bethlehem was about six miles south of Jerusalem. So so Herod would have expected the wise men to be back in a day or two. Hmm. So after a day or two, when he realized that the wise men had tricked him, they had used him for a location, he was furious. And so he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now, some historians have discounted the story of the slaughter of the children because it isn't mentioned outside the scriptures. And, and it feels like something of that severity would have been mentioned if it really would have happened, doesn't it? But we're, there's stuff that happens all over the world that we don't hear about. The Pastor Sani talked uh, about Hamas and how they, they aren't killing babies, they are sacrificing babies to their God. We don't hear about that. You don't hear about that on mainstream news. You don't, you don't know that unless, you've, unless you know somebody who knows it or you've gotten it from a reliable source. But, so there's things that happen throughout history uh, that we don't hear about, but it does feel like it's like the killing of every child under two. Uh, so I'm, I want to just throughout this, even this message and some of my other messages, I want you to understand that you're getting not just theology, you're also getting apologetics. Yes. Apologetics is the art of defending your faith. And so when people bring things up, hopefully you remember subconsciously that you got answers for this. So if somebody ever asks you, oh yeah, well, this not, it's not mentioned anywhere outside of the Bible, that can be countered in a couple ways. Number one is in Herod's declining years, they were so full of bloodshed that this incident was just par for the course for him. Secondarily, Bethlehem was a really small place. It probably didn't have more than 20 boys below the age of two. So, so with Herod's ferocious killings, this particular event might not have even attracted any attention outside of the fact that the Holy Spirit revealed it to Matthew to talk about. I mean, I mean he, history tells us that Herod's cruelty was so intense that it had become legendary in Rome, that the Romans thought he was too violent. I mean, he, he had three of his own sons killed because he viewed them as a threat to his throne. Uh, another time when uh, he became uh, really, really sick and it, it, was, uh, it was clear that he was gonna die. And so when it became clear to him that his death was imminent, he ordered that one member of every family in his kingdom be executed upon his death so that the entire nation would be in a state of mourning that coincided with his death. It was a lunatic 
So in our story, he ordered the execution of every boy in Bethlehem under the age of two. And his, and, and his brutal action fulfilled what God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted because they're dead. And in this last verse, Matthew's quoting Jeremiah 31, 15. And he says, a cry in Ramah. What does that mean? Well, put the map back up. Uh, Ramah, this is Ramah. So here's Bethlehem, here's Jerusalem, here's Ramah. You see the distances between them? It's almost identical. So Ramah was six miles north of Jerusalem, the total opposite of, of Bethlehem, which again says, what does that have to do with the story of Jesus' birth? What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, Ramah was where Rachel, the mother of the nation, was from. So if we have it up, put that back up. So Ramah is where she was from, but Bethlehem is where she was buried. So Jeremiah was talking about the mother of the nation weeping for her children or her, or, or her descendants when they were taken into captivity and how she had concluded in her mind that there was no hope. But the original readers of Matthew's gospel would have realized something we hadn't is that in the following verses in Jeremiah, they go on to reassure her that her lost children would return. So, so there's hope for the future. He's saying that God is working from disaster to deliverance, from bereavement to blessing, from death to life. And the original readers of Matthew would have understood just as Rachel was premature in her mourning, they were too. And you know what? So are you. Because he turns mourning into dancing, sorrow into joy, hurt into hope. He'll go into those places that used to hold you in bondage, Egypt, and make them places of peace. He'll make them places of rest. And some of you need to know that when you go to your mama's house over Christmas. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. He makes you to lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside still waters. He restores your soul. He leads you in the paths of righteousness for his sake. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you'll fear no evil for he is there. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil, your cup, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore. So in the midst of this holiday season, for some of you, this is anything but a season of hope. It's anything but a season of joy. It's a season of hurt, a season of loss, a season of loneliness, a season where the enemy has convinced you to lower your expectations. But the devil is a liar. So today I want you to see what I see. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He does have a plan for your life. It is for good and not for bad. It is for a hope and for a future. I wonder, will you receive that today? I hope so because he's prepared a table for you right in the presence of your enemy. And if you'll take your seat, goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Will you close your eyes and pray with me? Salvation is the ticket that gets us the greatest gift the world has or ever will know, the gift of eternal life. This morning, we're gonna, I wanna give you the opportunity to receive 
that gift, the gift of salvation. Maybe you're here and you say, Sean, I haven't received Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, but I want to before I leave this place. It just really takes two things. It takes that you confess and profess. Confess that you have, you have sin in your life and that you profess that you believe that Jesus can change that. And so this morning, we're going to give you the opportunity to do both of those things. Here's how. Just a moment with nobody looking around. I'm going to ask you to do two things. First is if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. That's going to be your act of confession. Secondly, I'm going to ask everyone in here to repeat a few lines of a prayer after me. And if you repeat those lines with everybody else and you meet them in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to before I leave. Would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. 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 Anybody else? Thanks. 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 Okay, I want everybody in here to say these words. Say, Jesus, I have sin in my life. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Forgive me. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen. Secondly, I wonder if you're hearing you say, Sean, I'm saved. I'm a Jesus guy. I'm a Jesus girl. I'm going to heaven. I understand that he's the reason for the season. Uh, but life has happened to you. And you've lowered your expectations. So when a pastor Dallas talks about God can bring significant things from insignificant people, you doubt that statement. If you're here and you have lowered your expectations, but you say, Sean, I want to raise them back up and nobody looking around. Did you just pop your hand up so that I can pray for you? Yeah, jeez, Louise. God, for my friends in this place, let them realize who they are. They are yours. And you are theirs. God, greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. And so I pray for confidence, boldness, strength, that even today, God, something will happen, will cross their path that will benefit them, God, that will embolden them, give them courage, give them strength, raise the level of their expectations of themselves and of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow our other podcasts so you can be updated when new episodes are released. We have a wide variety of podcasts to choose from. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week.